words, uh, Craig. Um, you have set the bar high. Uh, I don't know if I can hit that benchmark, so we're going we're gonna to try. We're going to try. Um, no, uh, I'm super excited. Uh, one, that I get to just present God's Word to you. Uh, it's a passion. Uh, God's Word is a passion of mine, and it's an honor to be able to do that. Um, but then also, like, this series of 4BG, I mean, it's just our heartbeat, mine and alleys and has been uh, for a long time. I mean, it's like our personal family mission and vision. And uh, I think what has been such a good fit with BG Covenant, it's, that's yours, like to know Jesus and make him known. Um, and that, that is really where uh, we have felt so excited about being able to uh, partner with you, intended on your vote for me, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, partner with you guys in what the Lord has for this church and this community. Um, not only how can we grow deeper in Jesus, but then also how can we make him known in this community. And so I'm really excited that I get to speak on that this morning um, in what is titled, Mission is Passion. You know, what do we care about? You know, what is it that makes our, you know, clocks tick? What is it that's in our hearts that we are about? And really, we're not saying that it's what we're about. What we're saying is what our Father is about. He's about this. And so therefore, we are about this. And how do we join him with that? That's kind of the direction of this morning. Now, I uh, heard Kyle's sermon uh, last week. He started talking about his mama. Is that, is that right? The, ma- the mama. So I thought I'd start with a story about my great-grandma. Um, now, we don't have any, like, cool names, you know, any sort of southern cool trendy names like Oma or anything or Mama. No, we're white suburban, practical people. Great-grandma sufficed. And so... You know, it was great-grandma, and I actually spent a lot of time with my great-grandma because I was raised by a single parent. You know, my mom was a full-time, like, working mom, and so great-grandma was, like, de facto, like, babysitter. You know, whenever we, like, got sick or, like, in the summer, if a babysitter fell through, my sister and I spent lots of time, lots of days, lots of weekends with my great-grandma. And uh, it was awesome being able to, like, just have those, like, shared experiences. Uh, My sister and I both just have a lot of wonderful memories. You know, walking, like, two blocks down, you know, there was a corner mart where you still could buy for one penny a piece of gum. And so you could, for five cents, get quite a bit of gum (laughs) when you were a kid. Um, But we got to do lots of stuff with my uh, great-grandma. Now, my great-grandma is very relational, particularly, like, with her family, and my grandma considered anyone that was somehow genetically connected to her as her family. And so because of that, there was a lot of time over lunch or whatever it is in her kitchen where she just had all kinds of family traffic in and out of her life. And honestly, I don't even know who they were. They're like the third cousin, third removed or something like that, you know. And, uh, but we got to see lots of people that we were like connected to. My great grandma's from Liberty, Kentucky. So it's like the, you know, probably moonshine hills of Kentucky is where my great grandma's from. And she would actually collect newspaper articles, and she would break them out and show me and my sister. And she spoke with such pride about this distant relative that had gotten this award or this honor as if it was her own. That she had this way of speaking about her family as if they all were her sons and daughters. And this was most evident during Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, you know, all the oddballs came out of the woodwork that were somehow, again, genetically connected to my great-grandma to share the Thanksgiving meal. And so Thanksgiving for me wasn't grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles and uh, immediate cousins. It was all kinds of people that you're like, I don't even know how we're related, you know. We look nothing alike. We talk nothing alike, you know. But for my great-grandma, they were all her own. And she desired and she was passionate about, you know, all the way up until she was about 97 years old, having Thanksgiving in her kitchen with her family. That's what she wanted. That's what she 
pursued. And so in light of that, when we talk about our Heavenly Father, we have to ask, what is it that our Heavenly Father pursues? What is he passionate about? You know, it says in John three sixteen, probably a verse that is familiar for some of us, that God so loved the world, that when you read Genesis to Revelation, that over and over again, God talks about his heart for the nations of people from every t- tribe, tongue, and nation, that when the Father thinks of his family, it's not just here locally, but his family is the global family. That's his heart, that's his, uh, his passion, and he pursues all of them. And as sons and daughters of the king, we have the privilege to pursue the same passion. And what we pursue reveals what our passion is. That what we pursue reveals what our passion is. And as Christ followers, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going after? What are we pursuing? And so today in our text, we're going to look at what is maybe a very familiar uh, story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 called the prodigal son. And uh, I think it sets us up well for us to take a look at the passion of the father and then for us to reflectively say, do we share in the same passion as our heavenly father? Now, let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus is talking to a motley crew of people. You know, you have on the one side, the very religiously right people. They have their moral act together. They are socially elite. You know, they dressed well, right? So they look like they would be pleasing to God, to every human being. And they thought that they were pleasing to God, right? So they thought that they had their act together. And then there's these other group of people that were called the tax collectors or sinners. I mean, there's a type of people that if they could, they would literally steal the shirt off your back, you know? Like that was what they were like. And uh, the religiously right were really upset that Jesus would spend time with these sinful tax collectors and sinners. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would bring both to himself, why he would teach both of them, why he would spend time with both of them. And they're really kind of quite beside themselves. And Jesus tells this story to try to help this motley crew of people understand the heart of the father and what the father is about. And so I'm going to read the entirety of the story to us right now. And Jesus tells it like this in Luke 15. He says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he delivered his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of his servants and asked, what are these things meant? And he said to him, 
your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who, was de- uh, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we could definitely like dive into this text and talk about what does it mean to be lost. But what I want to take a look at is the juxtaposed uh, attitude of the father and his sons. And that what the father was passionate about was very quite different than what his sons were passionate about. We see the son's passions and what they pursued. What was it that they were going after? They were pursuing themselves. They were passionate about themselves, both of them, both the younger and the older. That they didn't really care much about what the father had in mind for his household. His values, you know, his self, his relationship. But the sons were really about pursuing themselves. You know those Thanksgiving uh, Thursdays at my great-grandma's house? The reason I was there and the reason my great-grandma were there were quite different. I was there because I liked the food, you know? I really liked pumpkin pie. You know, I really liked the food. I really liked playing football with my cousins uh, out in the backyard. I liked uh, watching football on the TV. I wanted to come and go as I pleased, right? But my great-grandma was about the family, each and every single one that came in. For her, Thanksgiving was about the family. It was about the people that shared the meal, not the meal itself. But for me, it was about the meal. And so we see with the younger sons, one, they both are about consumption. They both are about their own comfort. They pursue it in different ways, but they both want to get. They both want to enjoy. They both want to be satisfied. We see it in their independence, in their own agenda, their own goals. That the younger son His goal was freedom, and he thought that there could be real freedom found in separating himself from his father. But the older brother was also about his own goals. For him, it was about faithfully tending the fields in the backyard that he might secure for himself his inheritance when his father passes away. That was his agenda. That was his goal. Even though his life looked more clean, he was really about securing for himself his own agenda, his own goals. And we see it in the way that they pursued safety, that the younger son felt like outside of his dad's religious you know, rules or regulations that there would be safety to be had out on his own. But in the older son, we see for him that he wanted safety. He wanted to work hard, all right? He wanted to be obedient so that he might be entitled to what was really his dad's. And can't we kind of be like that as well? I mean, like when we look at the cross and we see Jesus on it, we know that he, with his whole life, has pursued us. He's given his life that we might be a part of the family of God. And yet, you know, in our own hearts, we can come in, just like I did on those Thanksgiving days, and be about our own comfort and consumption. You know, Jesus has freed me that I can pursue my own goals now. I can go and do my own thing. I can be independent. You know, Jesus has saved me that I might be safe, that my faith might be safe and predictable. You know, that I can obey, therefore God has entitled me to blessings and a good life. And we really can quite quickly take our eyes off the Father's passion, what the Father's about, and we kind of put it on our own passion and about ourselves. 
we see the father's passion for his sons displayed quite differently. As I've already mentioned, in his pursuit of his sons. When we look at the text, what does his father do? He goes out to both, right? He doesn't just stay at his home, right? He goes out to the younger son, right? To meet him on the road. He goes into the backyard to meet his older son. He meets them where they're at. He doesn't require the younger son to clean up his act first. And he doesn't ask the older son to drop his pride, right? He meets them where they're at and entreats both of them to come in and be part of his family again. He engages, particularly his older son, in thought-provoking conversation. The reality is that the older son didn't deserve it. He deserved a good smack upside the head. Get in there, boy. This is what we're doing, you know? But the father actually engages in a conversation with him. And he asks the older son, understand my perspective. Grab a hold of it. Change your attitude in your heart and come in and be part of the family, right? And he engages with him in a conversation. He waits patiently for both of them. He doesn't demand them to come home, right? He waits for them to come home and he clears a way for both of them to come and be with him. This is the heart of our heavenly father. This is what he's passionate about. This is how he pursues people. This is how he pursued us. And this is how he wants to pursue people in this community, in this town. I'll say it this way. The father's passion is for his lost sons and daughters. And those, are, and those who are truly sons and daughters pursue his passion with him. So the father's passion is for his lost sons and daughters. And those who are truly sons and daughters pursue his passion with him. And the father invites us to do that with him. And it's a joy, as we see here, in a celebration when we get to partake in that work with him and be about his passion. Now, let's admit it. I mean, it's not cool in our modern day and age, to be passionate about our faith, right? I mean, like, in fact, it can be quite offensive to people if you're excited about what you believe, okay? I mean, working in campus ministry, obviously I'm working with 18 to 22-year-olds who care very much about the social media, what they look like to the outside world, right? And while it's totally good to be, like, privately, you know, personally to yourself, to be about Jesus or about God, don't be about that to the outside world, And the outside world has told us to be quiet about it. And we take our cue from them. You tell me to be private and uh, personal about it, then that's fine. I will. I'll keep it to me and my family, right? But that's not what the Father is like. That's not what the Father has called us to, right? He's called us to, to be passionate and to live it out and to pursue the things that he's pursuing. Because he is, as we already talked about, pursuing the entire world. Have you ever, like, been missing something before? Like, car keys go missing, you know, some valuable something goes missing, your kids go missing, right? Like when you like, when something of value goes missing, like don't you like, you begin to feel a little nervous. You begin to feel a little anxious. You begin to, if you really care about it, want to do whatever you can to get that thing. And if you weren't nervous and you didn't do anything to go and try to find that thing that was missing, you know, we both would say you don't care about that thing, right? You know, between, I lose lots of things. Allie likes to point out that I tend to misplace a lot of things. Apparently, the rule is if you put something somewhere consistently that when you need it, it's always there to find it, as opposed to if you just kind of throw it wherever, you know? And so I lose lots of things. You know, I lose important things, I go after it. When I lose unimportant things, I'm like, babe, we'll just buy a new one, right? Or, who, you know, we didn't need it to begin with. It's all right, you know? I have maybe or maybe not purposely misplaced some kids' toys that are a little annoying, <laughs> Like, I can't take that sound anymore, you know? <clears throat> Daddy, where's my whatever, you know? I, I don't, can't, can't find it, you know? But if we misplace something of value, 
We do whatever we can. You know, uh, when my wife loses her cell phone, I literally think the earth stops rotating on its axis until we find the phone. A couple years ago, I lost my wallet. Now, I did what my, uh, my wife told me to do. I put it in the basket that she gave me where I'm supposed to put my keys in my wallet, and I put it in there. But in the morning time, it wasn't there. Like, it literally, I did. I put it there, and it was, like, gone. Um, it had everything of value to me. You know, my identity, my driver's license. It had, like, a Home Depot gift card. It had cash in it. Like, you know, I'm like, I got to find my wallet. I spent an entire week finding a wallet. If I wasn't at work, I was looking for my wallet. I've looked, like, in the same pants, like, five different times, hoping that it would, like, be there, right? I did, like, crazy things. I did weird things. I got into our garbage can, you know, the big green, bowling green garbage can, pulled out every bag of trash, ripped open every bag of trash, you know, going through old coffee grinds and, like, smelly diapers because I had to find my wallet. I was desperate to find it. I didn't find it. It was really quite sad, you know. But that's all I cared about. But you could tell that I really cared about it because I really, I did everything. And I did weird things to go after it. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he does weird things to go after those who are lost. If you read the Gospels, you can't get away from it. He does odd things. As a single man, you know, he talks to a promiscuous woman because he loves and cares about her. He allows a woman to weep at his feet at a dinner party because he wants her to experience forgiveness. He engages in conversation with prideful people who are set in their ways. He never answers uh, a question with an actual answer, but rather answers questions with questions. He touches people that might actually give him some sort of contractible disease. He does weird things. And if we are going to be passionate about what the Father is going to do, we've got to just understand we're going to do weird things, okay? Now, I'm not trying to say we should purposely be weird, okay? Some Christians can just be weird, you know? But there is like a sense in which we ought to be Jesus weird, all right, we ought to be Jesus weird. Jesus weird is when we see that Jesus goes to great lengths, even in the face of cultural pressures, to reach the most wayward and the most stubborn of his missing family. That Jesus goes to great lengths, and even in the face of cultural pressures, to reach the most wayward and the most stubborn from his missing family. He goes out, he goes out, he goes out. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we are sons and daughters, will we go out too? Will we go out of our comfort zone? Will we go out to the lost? Will we meet them where they're at? Will we engage in conversation? Will we wait patiently? Will we clear every obstacle that's between them and Jesus? Will we take on that work that the Father has called us to do? So what does this look like to be Jesus weird? You know, when I talk to students, like that's what I actually say. All right, crew students, we are to be Jesus weird. We're to be Jesus awkward. Let's embrace it. All right, let's do it. Because really what I found is people feel most love when we're like that. And this is what I mean. Here's just some ways that we can begin to like flesh this out in our life. One, do we have a presence around the lost? Do they actually see our face? Do they know our name? Do we know their name? I call it from going from being like a backyard Christian like the older son to being a front yard Christian like the father, right? The backyard is for my family, you know, close friends. My front yard is where I can meet the guy walking his dog you know, after work, okay? Can I be a front yard Christian? When I show up to drop my kids off at their activities, am I willing to say hello to people? Am I willing to meet the other parents who are there? Am I willing to meet the kids who are there? Am I willing to be present and available to people? And I, I, I think sometimes we think that we have to be highly trained evangelists to have an impact on people's lives, you know? Yeah, we should be trained, but 
you know, we don't have to yet be trained. We can at least be present because the Holy Spirit lives within us. That means the light of the gospel is in us. That means when, whether we like it or not, when we interact with those who are lost, they will see Jesus in us. They will experience Jesus in us. And so we must be present around people. So are we getting to know people's names? Are we saying hi? Are we around the lost? So you must have a presence. Secondly, we must be present in prayer and thought-provoking conversation. Are we willing to listen to people's stories and listen to what they care about? Are we willing to ask thought-provoking questions? You know, I've found that there can be a world of difference between how are you as a greeting and how are you as a gateway into your inner world. How are you as a formality or how are you, no, I really want to know. Tell me about your life. Because, you know, I think most people when they wake up in the morning are not wanting to be lectured at during the day, but I do think that they want to be understood and heard. And we can do that by asking questions and listening. I think sometimes as Christians, we think it's weird to ask questions like, hey, tell me about your spiritual life. Tell me about your thoughts about God when I think most people in our town would actually love to tell you their thoughts about, their, about God, about their belief, about their spiritual journey if you're willing to listen. I've just found most people are so willing, if we're willing to ask that question, tell me about your spiritual journey. Tell me what you think about who God is. I found so many people willing to jump at that when I'm willing to listen. So having presence, being present, and then giving permission, allowing the lost to be the lost. I think sometimes we want those who are lost for their lives to be cleaner, their mouth to be cleaner for them to value the same things that we value, but they don't, right? They, they don't have the, uh, the, uh, the love of the Father in their life. They don't understand what they've been sa- uh, like saved to, you know? Their life has not yet begun to change because Christ is not in their life. And so can we allow them to be who they are? Their life is going to be messy, you know? They might drop some words that we don't want our kids to hear, but that's okay. God is good, all right? God is good. But in that way, we're able to meet them out where they're at, the way the father meets the sons where they're at. So let me just share with you just a recent quick story of what this looked like in my own life. Uh, so my son plays hockey, and uh, I had the honor of taking him to uh, hockey practice. And um, I was feeling really stressed about a week and a half ago. This sermon was one of those things that I felt behind on, you know. So I actually brought my backpack, you know, to the hockey arena, and I was going to out in the Slater family kind of lobby, you know, grab a table and get some work done right? And so I got my son on the, uh, onto the uh, ice. I had an hour to myself to like get my stuff done. And all of a sudden I run into my uh, son's old hockey coach from last year. His name is Brian. And Brian is, uh, his son is on my son's team again this year. And so I knew Brian had an hour just like me to do nothing. And I'm like, oh, please don't talk to me. <laughs> I got stuff to do, you know? Brian comes up to me and like starts this conversation and we like start to talk and I'm like, okay, this is a holy moment. Let's engage in some conversation here, you know? And I just sort of like dropped my agenda. God, I'm just not going to get anything done for the next hour. That's okay. And we just began to talk about his life, how he moved all over the country. He just shared with me about his divorce, you know, from his wife. Um, he uh, just told me about how he got into like hockey coaching for about 25 minutes, listening and talking about the things that were on his mind. And then he turned to me and he's like, you're like a priest, aren't you? I said, no, not a priest. <laughs> I do campus ministry. If I could, if you vote for me, I might be able to say I'm a pastor at BG Covenant. But at the time, I said, uh, I am, uh, I do campus ministry with crew. He's like, well, how'd you get in that line of work? And I said, can I just be really honest with you? I said, when I was 18, God showed up in my life 
showed me that he loved me, and it just has changed my life and what I'm, what I'm about. And that's all I said to him. But then he began to like ask me more questions about that, and I just began to share with him what I've really fi- found is, you know, our culture is a lot of self-help. Self-help, self-motivation, self-upward trajectory, but I've just found for most people, over time, it doesn't satisfy what they really long for. And Brian says, for three years, I've been pursuing that, and he said, I feel like something's missing in my life. It's just like this moment that the Lord gave me, just because I listen and ask some questions. And I just began to say, Brian, maybe it's God. And, uh, uh, you know, our conversation began to wrap up as we kind of began to kind of like dive into that just a little bit. And I said, Brian, if you're willing, I would love to sometime grab a drink with you and follow up. And so we're going to meet together hopefully like this week, actually. So I got his number. I was like, hey, let's go grab a drink and we'll follow up on that conversation. What's awesome is it's already there. I can just jump right back into it and begin to talk to him about what I've learned about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. I think that there's Brian's all over our community, all over BG. And I'm so excited because I think in this role, in this position, in partnership with you, I'm excited about doing this together. I'm excited about me introducing to you the Brian's in my life and Allie's life and me getting to meet the Brian's in your life, you know, and I am so hopeful so excited that we together can be for BG, that people would feel like, man, I don't know actually what BG Covenant does, but I do know when I interact with them, I feel so loved. And that's what we're going to go after together. So let me pray to end us, and I think Craig and the worship band are going to be coming up right now. Heavenly Father, um, Oh man, uh, just looking uh, at Luke 15, uh, how can we not say thank you for your passion for us and that you've cleared every obstacle for us to bring us into your family. Thank you, Lord, that your, uh, your family, your eyes and your heart is so much wider and broader and deeper than ours. And yet, God, you invite us to share in your pursuit of people. We ask, God, would you teach us, would you train us, would you empower us that we might be the salt of the earth for this community, this town of Bowling Green and beyond. And we be the light of the gospel with the way that we are around people, the way that we ask questions and listen, God. And would you use us to, to draw them into your Thanksgiving dinner? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful, encouraging word this morning. Uh, this is the time of our... Uh, gathering where we take communion together. Uh, if you're new or a visitor here and you're comfortable with taking communion, please feel free to take it with us. If you're not or you're wondering what's, what's up with your life and would rather just not take communion this morning, that's okay too. You're in the right place. Uh, just sit and stand and, and enjoy the words of the songs and um, no one's there checking to see who does and who does not. This is just a, a time for us to be uh, honoring Christ and remembering him through uh, taking the bread, dipping it in the cup, remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, if you have any questions about this later on this morning, feel free to catch any one of us. Obviously, Nick would love to chat with you as well. And uh, just know that uh, God is with you this morning as we take communion. So we'll play some music. And if you feel the move, uh, come up and take communion together with your family or by yourself.